Before we get started, it's worth mentioning that the podcast you're about to listen to is an audio rip of a fully filmed YouTube show. While this podcast is perfectly enjoyable in this format, there will be the odd reference to something you can't see. It doesn't happen that often and it won't take too much away from the overall experience. I wouldn't worry about it. But if you do have the time, I recommend Video Namaste in its preferred form, where you can see clips, our lovely faces and Danny's kitchen. You can find it on the Pleasureland YouTube channel, but hey, if this works for you, I'm not going to argue. Please enjoy. Four-legged women. <laughs> Welcome to Video Namaste. We're trying something different every Giant single episode. <laughs> it probably didn't work, but that's fine. Dead that's fuck fine. We, we will just never keep, see what we just did. We're, just, we're like sharks, we never stop moving. <clears throat> and if we do, we'll die. We and never, if we don't, we'll probably die because everybody's got to die. Everyone's got an expiration date, shampoo, apples, everything. Everything goes. <laughs> Even tins of whole chicken. <laughs> like, tins of whole chicken, rotisserie chickens, everything. Uh, All, any chicken. Chicken goes, chicken expires. Mm -hmm. No, hot dogs don't. I think hot dogs and cockroaches are the only thing that don't actually die. So even if you eat a cockroach, it lives on inside your belly. Oh. And you shit it back out, and it's still a cockroach. And the whole true? time it's in there, it's trying not to be shat out to. <laughs> it's trying to find something to read <laughs> when it's in there. Bold as fuck. Putting its feet up at the side of your sphincter like, like someone trying to be thrown out of a pub. <laughs> <laughs> or a plane. <laughs> or their first day at school. <laughs> Right, Richie, what are we, uh, what are we talking about in uh, this reel? So, we're on episode two. We've got Iron Brew Throat. <laughs> <laughs> you got a wee Ted Levine going on there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, episode, this is episode two, reel two of Video Namaste. And anyone who saw reel one, and you should what have if you're here, you can't, you can't be jumping in in the middle. Um, anyone no. who saw reel one will, will know that we've been talking about Skint knee films, yes. so that's films about kids in very real peril, or you know, kids horror films, or action films, or you know, films that generally that are about kids and are kind of for kids and they're not patronising in the way that kids films are. Mm. So in the last film, last reel we talked about uh, Monster Squad. It was Finley's choice. It was uh, uh, we decided it was quite good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we decided it was very good. If I had ten arms, I would have gave it. Ten thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mentioned that last time. I've been gone off in Mortal Kombat. Honours are thumbs up. Uh, so for this episode, we're going to go for Attack the Block. Ooh. I'd said that a big reveal, but I said at the name at the end of the last episode what we're doing, so it's not a big surprise to me. So if you never knew that, you were only paying attention. <laughs> well, you turned off, right? You got to the bit where we're like, right, and then you went, right, that's uh, obviously the end. Oh, they're rounding up. <laughs> <laughs> like folk that get their light on at the end of a film. <laughs> like, that's a probably got it all. <laughs> How the fuck can people do that? Like I don't, I don't the credits, like us. Oh, I done that at Casino Royale. I went and seen Casino Royale and like they were pumping and me and Devlin just went, nah, fuck it and left. Apparently there was like half an hour left. I thought that was the end. I'm like, shag and that must be it then. Uh, there must be so many people that got to like that bit in AI. <laughs> and it doesn't even count those aliens in it then. Uh, what? The best beat the, <laughs> best get out and beat the beat the traffic, I don't want to be sitting in that car. Then I might be late for work, I don't have to say the boss I was watching AI. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know, I thought it was a ministry concert. <laughs> UKIP are once again proven right when aliens arrive in London to put the locals out of their misery. But their plans are foiled by youths who are probably high on apps for their lenticular phones. It's Attack the Block by Joe Cornish. So Attack the Block is a British uh, kind of genre film, creature feature with mm -hmm. uh, teenagers. Yep. So not maybe a wee bit older than Monster Squad, mm -hmm. but it still counts. It still counts. Mm -hmm. um, and all the main characters are teenagers um, and they live in a... Uh, a tower block in a kind of council estate in London, mm -hmm. and uh, they they attract the attention of these monsters, these aliens, and it's just that's the story, really. It's um, yeah, aye. Uh, because from there everything progresses. Yeah, it's like the setup is simple, but then it's not as it's not as superficial as it first sets up. No, yeah, exactly. So, um, but what you got with Attack the Block is just a kind of a great one. Well, the thing we should mention first of all is that it's a first feature. And yep. it's the first feature of uh, Joe Cornish, who uh, you probably know this already, I'm sure most people know this, but if there's any Americans watching, Joe Cornish uh, was one half of a comedy duo called Adam and Joe. He was on Channel 4 a lot in the 90s. A lot of late he did night a lot, comedy. Yeah, he did a lot of kind of film parodies with toys. He used to do like Star Wars sketches. And mm -hmm. So, Joey, you're an unemployed mercenary and you're here with your friend Han tonight. He's up there looking a bit, uh, well, plastic. Are you ready to play? You bet! Hello? Oh, are you watching Man Oh Man? I love that program. Shut up, Ben. Chewie's on Who Wants to Be Killed on Air and he's only got three questions to go before he wins a million. <sighs> Too much is the tension. To the levy must I go? Yeah, he did that and then, um, and then he kind of... Uh, because him and Edgar Wright were kind of on telly at the same time, the two of them became pals apparently met in a DVD shop. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be able to tell through this entire episode that I watched the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's fine. But, um, researchers, researchers, research. And uh, so yeah, Joe Cornish is a man that, that that obviously from watching the title block, he knows his stuff, and he's kind of just been waiting in the wings, waiting for his moment to make his film, <laughs> and that he found the right time, and he did it, and it was. Yeah, he made something pretty special, I think. And it's very the great thing about Attack of the Block is it's very kind of like it's about an alien invasion, but they've managed to do that thing where they make it in a small location, it's low key, but mm. it's 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 big at the same time. It's there's, small. There's, there's something potentially there's there's like a potential for it. If if these kids that are involved mm -hmm. like can they stop it, there's a potential for it to Go go mass to spread yeah, to yeah, be yeah. to be a bigger thing than what it already is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And something that I, f I love about it is kind of I know it sounds weird, but what we're, what you're talking about with Monster Squad, like you're they're your pals. Mm -hmm. Every time we start, like I grew up watching Adam and Joe, and like these were guys that loved all the same things I did, and, oh, yeah. and they were really genuinely funny. And you kind of grew up watching it. They made their show for like their bedroom, and mm -hmm. like seeing them go for like that wee bedroom. To making a fucking feature line film mm -hmm. with the Daniel Bedenfielded it. Aye, totally. Yeah. <laughs> they fucking Bedenfielded it with the car crash. <laughs> My favourite, like. Still going strong. It's obviously, it's, a, it's Joe Cornish. Well, I say it's Joe Cornish in his own. Edgar Wright was in the winds, kind of pointing them in the right direction, just making sure of them. He was an executive producing it. And, uh, and he was uh, making Scott Pilgrim, I think, at the same time as it was all happening. But the Nira Park as well producing yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. So Nira, who's like, who works with she, Edgar quite a lot she, as well. Yeah, she's, she, was, she worked on Space, she worked on all of those uh, Did she work on Scott Pilgrim as well? 
Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Aye. Aye. So she's 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 pretty great, and she's she's one of the people who's basically came up through the industry with them. So she's yeah. like a good sort of a good person to rely on, a good anchor of that whole. All right. Okay. Thing. But there's a lot of talk about kind of first features and stuff from Joe Cornish, and it's interesting just to listen to someone talking about that because there's so many things that you take for granted like especially when it comes to first features like just uh, confidence um, like to make a film like this as your first feature you've got practical effects you've got action scenes you've got choreographed fight scenes mm -hmm. you've got you know and and then you've got you're actually, I mean, in terms of settings and characters, you're talking about, this isn't like a, your normal standard setting. You're talking about a bunch of uh, kids, um, kind of multicultural kids from a London council estate, and they talk the lingo sort of, mm -hmm. up, as far as I can tell, the lingo's really well done. And Yo, check it. What, bruv? More. More what? Them things. Rockets, innit? Nah, rockets go up before they come down. Them things are pure coming down. They're the same, same as what? As what hit that car before, fam. Trust? Nah, more of them nasty little gremlins. Aye, it's raining golems. Bear creatures. And that one landed in the park, fam. Close. Ah, oh, lovely fireworks. Nah, mate, it's an invasion. Of course it is. Let's get down there, cuz. Let's go fuck them up. Hey, I'm killing them. I'm killing them straight. Hey, let's get tooled up, blood. Come, 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 come. Hey, somebody call pest control. Yeah, I'm looking at my blade. Samurai Dennis Pastor. Quite sweet, really, aren't they? You were saying this earlier that you have an American friend who says he loves it. And the, but the, the amazing thing is, is like the, because of all the language in the film, you'd, you'd expect it to be a bit more of um, a bit more of a barrier for a lot uh, of people. Like but it's like colloquialism. Yeah, there's a lot of colloquialism. Yeah, that, that but it's that thing with clueless as well. It's got its own, it's got its own language, but you don't need to be a, a valley girl to get it. Well, exactly. Well, there's also there's just the way that the story unfolds. Like you don't. It's almost like you don't have to listen to the dialogue to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so you figure that out on the way, but you're kind of... And you figure that out this. if you watch it with the commentary on as well. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's amazing about Attack the Block, and another thing that's amazing for it being a first feature, is once again, uh, the acting talent in the film. All of the main characters, are it's their first features. Mm -hmm. I think it's their first features. If you watch the behind the scenes on the documentary, mm -hmm. you watch, all the kids are getting interviewed, and they're, all, they're very much kids. Mm -hmm. Like They're all sort of have, just having a great time on set. They're obviously all professional, and they're, doing, you know, they're giving it their all. But when they talk about how they got involved with the film and stuff, they mention like teachers' names and stuff. <laughs> oh, this all happened because Mrs. Mrs. Such and Such. And it's like, oh, so you were just in school, and then they, they, they obviously trawled schools for acting talent mm -hmm. and found like uh, the right group of kids. And... Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's yeah. like there's a, there's there's a got massive like, payoff for it. It's just it really works as well because it's you know I think for a film like that it needs to be for the characters it is you can't mess about with that it has to be genuine. It wears its influences on its sleeve. Like you've mm -hmm. got it's obviously like it's critters. Like the mm -hmm. guy grew up with critters. Clearly, it's yeah, like yeah. that when they see the when the alien first lands in this play park, it, it's shot like. The shed in Grover's Bend, like mm -hmm. that, that's what mm -hmm. it could be. That you know, aye, and, like, aye, and obviously yeah, yeah. it's a creature feature and stuff like that. But I think like there's there's a lot of aliens in this as well because the way that their dynamics totally like the Marines, like they these guys are like these guys are practically soldiers. Aye. you know. 
Well, it's, yeah, no, that, that, it's, it's that wish fulfillment, wish fulfillment thing again. Because it works. I think that sort of thing where all the kids become action characters, it works really, really well because I think if you had a bunch of kids... Um, instead of being like, oh, I don't know how to deal with this, to be like, yeah, this is my chance. Like, it's almost like it's playing. Aye. It's like a video game. Where you're just like, I can, I can finally be the be the hero. I ain't even gonna say. You know what that is? I'll tell you what that is. That's an alien, bruv. Believe it. Must have come from outer space trying to take over the Earth, innit? <laughs> when I landed in the wrong place, though, you get <laughs> the wrong place. <laughs> Welcome to London, motherfucker. Welcome to the end, brother. This is the block, fam. Nobody fucks with a box, you get me? The B L O C K. Yeah, but the way that it's not patronising is it's like a necessity, it's like a burden to them. They're like, you know, the amount of fucking shit we get off the streets, let alone the sky. And like, you know, and it's like everything they deal with, they're just like, they're just Wayne's having problems fucking flung at them. And like that, in that sense, it's totally no patronising at all because it understands that when you're Wayne, sometimes things are just fucking shite all the time. And you don't know how to deal with being yourself, let alone huge problems like aliens falling through the sky, you know? Well, like when the whole situation sort of first kicks off, for the the arc is, is that like when they, you know, they first they kick fuck out the first alien that comes down, <laughs> and then it's like, and then they start dragging it about and showing off and all that, and it's like, cause you know they're just like, yeah, I we're like alien Boston. killers and all that sort of stuff, and then obviously when the shit starts going down and it starts to get a bit more dramatic, it's like, oh, but then they kind of, you know, obviously they step up. They like, I, like I, I don't know if he if he intended to write about that or make the film about that. But there's a lot of, like, there is obviously a lot of, like, political sort of st- stuff snuck in there, but there's a lot of stuff about just, like, kind of teenage emotions and especially growing up. Like, Attack the Block, I think, is, like, an, an allegory for, like, social boredom, mm-hmm. in a way. Like, because mm-hmm. as you were saying, like, see when they kill that alien, like, they drag it about and they show it because they're bored as fuck. And that's, like, Aye. when you're really, like, you would drag about any old shit, like, a tire and that, just to date it because you were bored. But to Aye. them, they've got an alien, so they were like, this is fucking amazing. And it gives, it gives them a sense of purpose that I don't think, subconsciously, the characters feel like they have. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. like each one, like, like uh, Moses, like, he's he lives on his own and he says he's with his uncle, but his uncle comes and goes and, like, you see his bedroom and he's like, he is a child, he's 15, but yeah, you know, yeah. the film doesn't show you that until closer to the end, he's mm-hmm. actually still a child. And I think it just, it shows you that it gives these kids a kind of purpose that I don't think they feel that they have, which is yeah. fucking deep, like, no, for, no, for a film about killing aliens. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so, that aspect of it is so well handled, I mm-hmm. think, because yep. I think any, I mean, you see a lot of things like that, and it's, it could so easily be so heavy-handed, but the primary, the primary purpose so of the bad. film is to have fun. Mm-hmm. But there's, it's in the details. All that stuff is like it's in the it's in there, and you're kind of just absorbing it by being there. Um, but you're not. It's not like telling you. It's mm-hmm. it's like um, one of the things like when you watch the film as well. Another one of the things you notice is that the the the, the, the sets like the the sets of the block and everything. They're all clean. Aye, like yeah. all the halls and everything are clean. Aye, it's and not that's like because that it's fucking Grimsby shit that came out. You see that? No, like, but that that looks no, like fucking. They were saying that like he was like in that brother's Grimsby. He was portraying Grimsby as like a fucking crack adult dump where folk were like flinging piss out of windies in there. Like, There's some see Bob Mortimer's tweets when that film came out, man. He was. <laughs> <laughs> he was having a ball. It's like there's, there's so many ways to handle it. It's like. 
poor people are these stinking fucking scumbags. Aye. It's like because it's people. someone. It's, it's yeah. It's their and, home, and, so. Do you know what? Mayor Mayor kudos to um, to Joe Cornish as well because like if he's anything like Adam Buxton, he comes from a relatively wealthy background. Like, well, I think, think the like it's filmed in South London where he grew where up, he and grew I think up, it is. Uh, Quite oh, like right. working class. I think maybe Adam's quite. They went to the same school, but I think Adam's maybe a bit posher than Joe. Aye. Right, okay. Aye. Aye. Well, that's what I was about to say. Aye. I didn't know if it was cool to say but that. But no, I mean, it's, it's funny. It, yeah. it's, it's funny because it's like the funny thing is, is like you watch it and like, I mean, Joe Cornish is like probably one of the whitest guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like super white and nerdy, man. He's, he's great. But still, like um, class aside, like he's got a. Uh, an idea, um, like you know, um, a, like a completely not just like how to project, how to make a film about uh, youths growing up, but like you know, a, youths of a different ethnicity as well. Uh, like he's nailed that, and at no point does that seem patronising. No, I was like, just about to say he's done something that, like on a surface level, so many films don't do, which is it makes genuine heroes. Out of, like black characters, yeah, it doesn't yeah. vilify them, it doesn't ghettoize them, like it doesn't make them like, it doesn't make them like, what is it like the the mythical like kind of like shaman sort of stuff that you see, especially in like right. a lot of Hollywood films. It makes these people like real black characters, funny as fuck, solid as fuck, and actual genuine heroes. Like, they're all great. People like, who propel the, the but like plot even and... even like the like the white character in it, like the wee boy and some of the white characters. Yeah. In it, they're all great. There's no bad character in it, and there's no character that feels like a stereotype or a caricature. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, funny. The, it's the, just its own thing. Pest, the boy with the hood and the hat and the aye, aye. Like he is the most recognizable. Like the way he <laughs> talks and the way he acts. Aye. Like and there's a great scene as well where they're all getting prepped. When they first, when the aliens are first coming, they all go in their house and get all their weapons and stuff. Where have you been? Got to get the punch of a perfect one. Why? You're not going out again? Just to mend my tire. Ten minutes, I swear. Hey, ten minutes. I mean it. I promise. It's like it's total. The the kids dialogue with the <laughs> it's great and it's so relatable. You know, it's not Americanized. It's a bit closer to home. It's very. It's really British, and I, I love that. Like there's just, it's like 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 I'm a fucking white Scottish guy, but like. I can still relate to it, even though it's like mostly black youths from South London. It's like because it's just got a certain thing about it. There's no American influence in it whatsoever, and that adds to how much I can relate to it. One of the things he talks about in the commentary is like um, he talks a lot about sort of specifically talks a lot about John Carpenter and how John Carpenter used. at locations like small locations mm-hmm. but use relatable locations like not glamorous locations. so it was like um, it was almost like the great thing about a setting like that is that you watch it and then you go you know you leave the film like you see a film set in a mm-hmm. council estate or something and you leave it and and, and almost the, the world around you just becomes quite cinematic Aye. like so like you know Assault and Precinct Aye. 13 or you know Aye. things like, like that it's like, it's just using like the cinema yeah. using really good cinematography in really domestic locations mm-hmm. makes this incredible cinema makes makes the everyday makes the mundane cinematic mm-hmm. and that's what you're talking mm-hmm. that happen, they do it in Monster Squad Aye. and they do it in this really really Plus well it makes, it makes the film feel more tangible because you're like I basically know buildings like that. I know that brickwork. I know oh, that. Right. I know that. Uh, like um, the casting. What's it called in the house again? 
The rough right. casting. No, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, that rough casting. I know that you're talking about the casting like, of the film. It's like, no, no, do sorry, you know sorry. Any of them? <laughs> no, it's like I know, I know that. Like you know, like the textures in yeah, that yeah. landscape, totally and, and, it, and you feel like yes, like like mm-hmm. even like the like the shininess of the like the the laminate on the floors mm-hmm. and stuff like that's like and the orange for the street light mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's like, it's like you know that and you feel that, and mm-hmm. it's it's that's nice. See something that I think we um I think we need to talk about as well is like the fact that it didn't. They amazingly uh, at the box office. One of the biggest problems that that film had, and I remember one of the biggest problems. One of the biggest problems that the film had, and I remember because my expectations of it were completely different when I first watched it. Mm -hmm. And it took. I remember watching it and just thinking, and then coming out and then thinking about it, and then then realizing it was really great. But it was like there was so much focus on it being the next Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's that's, not that's like Shaun of, the, like Shaun of the Dead is, is a comedy. It's like it's a it's built around gags and I mean don't get me wrong, it's a great like there's a lot of great action and stuff. No, it's a comedy first. But it's like this is this is a creature feature with that doesn't you know that, mm-hmm. that doesn't take itself too seriously and mm-hmm. it's which is a completely different. Aye, I thing. think it's just and it's like it was... you look at the box even if you look at the DVD box it says on the front it'll say from the producers of Shaun of the Dead which is correct obviously but then yeah, in the back there's the a producers of Shaun of the Dead and, and on the says, back it says. It's nothing less than the new Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> Fucking Empire. <laughs> <laughs> they got like a shit and they're all gobies. What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? Honestly. <laughs> Kim Newman's watching this. Greeting in his fedora. <laughs> I need this for later. Greeting in his big tear cloak. A wee bit of that, but I think... Um... That, was his, that was one of his biggest setbacks because... Seeing something's new Shaun of the Dead as a as a as fucking lazier than saying pulp fiction on acid. No, <laughs> no pulp fiction on acid. It's lazier, but it's it's lazier, but it's like a it's like a, a an easier way of saying a new British genre film. Uh, okay, yeah. what I mean, because that's what it is. It's mm. you can see why folk would say Shaun of the Dead because it's horror and it's funny, but it's fuck all like it. Fucking yeah. not, and I think that's so why. So you think now it's like, a big problem? Eh? I think that's why. Marketing was, like, was a big issue. I think it got. That's why it got a lot of like Obviously, three star ratings and stuff because mm-hmm. folk were going in expecting Shaun of the Dead like that kind of hilarity, mm-hmm. and they were getting something that was made about youths and mm. like. See, know? I'm always just really conscious of the fact that like a lot of my favorite films that didn't really do that well, like are like they don't feature white male protagonists like well, just that one white male protagonist it, like almost invariably I think no I mean I, I think I think there is a bit of that going on because like as I was saying to you guys the other night I've had this I've had this conversation more than several times with different people and so many people say oh I just find it really difficult to relate to characters where the first thing you see them doing is mugging a woman and it's like yeah. but it's, have you never seen a film where no, a like, character commits a like crime? Like you're saying with Dust Till Dawn, like, you know, that's a horrendous crime, and one of them's a fucking rapist. Aye, a fucking film's brilliant, mate. Totally click with that. That's it. It's like, it's, it's people no want to give you a chance, because, yet again, that's the start, that, start of your character arc. And when a character arc finishes, yeah. rounded up, and you can decide then if you like it or no. no. Try to break into a film first off with a character committing a crime is... Because then I could fucking. Uh, well, the, the, the interesting thing about it is that um, uh, when you first meet the characters as well, it's another thing I never considered until recently as well. But they've all—you can't see their faces; yeah, they've uh, got their hoods up. Covered. And as the film goes but on, they, like a, there's a layer of like clothing, kind of 
sounds weird. A layer no, comes off no, like I, from their face. I will. I mean, so by the end of the film, they've all mm -hmm. got. You can like Pest, especially Pest has got the hat and the, the hood, hood. and then obviously they've all got their masks on at the very like the very first time you see them, they're doing something question they're doing something bad mm -hmm. and um, and at the end of the film they've kind of come full circle oh. and they're open they're much like getting rid of the um the mask like the first time you see pests hair is right at the end of the film Aye. and he's a different character Aye, well, that was like, he's like, like a wee boy now at the time like uh, government were vilifying hoodies and like hoodie hug a hoodie mate hug a hoodie <laughs> so like that's, that's the whole point yeah. it's like there's a face behind that hood you know like it's, i think that was a big part guess, of the message yeah in the film. it's quite close to home like because it's like i was thinking about it's like i wondered if i watched a genre film where like i don't know what the scottish equivalent would be like maybe kind of six quite netty kids um, I mean actually that sounds pretty good but like you know what I mean it's like if something that you've maybe previously you just have a preconception of what a particular person is like and then to see them portrayed positively your brain kind of just goes it's not like you even have a prejudice it's just your brain not being able to go and oh this uh, is different. This is not. I did, that uh, that isn't. Um, I, I'm not comfortable with knowing that, that there's a person behind the people that I'm afraid of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but um, but even as you were saying about Moses as well, like taking his layers off. By the uh, end of the film, he's got like at the start of the film, he's got a hoodie, a jacket, his hat, mm. hood up, like with his mask. But by the end, he's got like a tank top, yeah. and he's just like fucking kicking about with the guns out and like yeah, uh, no, because so like the it's like the kids become more like kids as the film goes on because mm -hmm. at the the beginning of the film they're villains they're just aye, and then at the end they're of the film they're kids mm -hmm. they're just like and then because uh, it's not until the end of the film as well that you see Moses's room and it's all very aye, obviously the twist is that he's younger than he looks and. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's like, I didn't know you were 50, you look older. And he says, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and that's always a compliment you want in your reading. Creature design, like um, <laughs> that. The thing, the thing was amaz amazing that I think a lot of people, when you look at the creature design, they think it's animated, mm -hmm. and um, it's partially down to how they do it. But um, they wanted. I, I know that when they, they shot the film and the way that they lit the film, they wanted it to be high contrast, though, because the whole film's set at night, mm -hmm. and uh, so the, the 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 blacks in the film are blacker than black, and then the white. You know, the, there's just. Aye. The light, More the way the light works. But because of the, the black fur of the the monsters, like one of the things is one of the he kind of let Joe like again Joe Cornish listed a whole bunch of different uh, um, uh, influences. Influences. <laughs> <laughs> listed a whole bunch Give of influences for for the way that the monster moves and everything. It's quite interesting. But the first thing he said was like when you when you have a black cat, if you look at a black cat, mm -hmm. um, a black like if you shine a light in a black cat, it looks brown, uh, or you know you've got the sheen and everything. But if you backlight a black cat, it becomes kind of kind of two D because all the the all of the um, detail disappears. Aye. And um, so like that's really cool. Yeah, that's like the, a good. Yeah, so good. they use like uh, they they've just got a man in a like a kind of big furry suit, 
and they rotoscope out the detail, but it's not just the rotoscoping. They do like, um, like, like just the way that it's lit and stuff. Sometimes they overlight it so they can crush the, make the contrast higher, which mm -hmm. gets rid of the detail in your blacks. And um, it's almost like silhouettes, like they're being chased by shadows. Right? Yeah, no, it makes it because of the way that it moves. Um, it, yeah, it becomes more and more. And obviously, they've got a, a, a guy that's I can't remember the fella's name, but the fella that that. The way that he moves is absolutely, it's just, it brings the creature to life. Because that was one of the things they talked about. I, I'm sorry to bring this up, but one of, one of the commentary, um, Edgar Wright tells a story about reading a, a book of uh, Doctor Who monsters. I thought it was going to be Star Trek. Uh, I thought get, it was your bingo, get your bingo cards out, man! So he's, reading, he's reading this book of, uh, like a compendium of Doctor Who monsters. And obviously if you were watching, if you kid watching Doctor Who in the 80s, you had this book of the monsters. It's like the BBC never repeated. Do you have this book? I don't have it actually. Oh. But like, if you've Sorry. got like, so you're looking back at old monsters and you think, because that's the, the thing about old Doctor Who is like the creature designs are really really good, mm -hmm. but what lets Dead it down, bad. but what lets it down is the way that they move, mm -hmm. right. and yeah, it's, it's it's someone never considered before, but yeah, I mean, it's like that's why so much time goes into the way that performers move Aye. in a. I can also kill something as well, like the way the wee lassie moves in the ring. It's like as soon as she starts her jittery pitch, I'm like, oh, this is just going to start a whole movement and nonsense. But then you see like Doug Jones has Pan and Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. and Aye. you're like, that's Aye. that's like a big graceful dude. You know, he knows mm -hmm. how to move fantasy characters because he's Aye. like Abe Sapien as well. You know, like. But um, so shifted. <laughs> we'll just shifted gear. No, 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 no. I loved. I loved as well that one of the the, the um, uh, influences was. Uh, for the monster and attack the block was the do you know did you ever play another world oh i oh you know, the beast yeah, at the beginning in another world apparently that like, was like a big oh, yeah because it's like uh, what you do in another world is you kind of jump onto the next screen and then you get a snapshot of everything but this beast comes towards you so you have to figure out what goes on and then you jump back I to saw the big, it's just that because of the graphics are so basic it's like a 2d kind of but it moves because the movement in another world is all rotoscoped it's like the first thing that happens is when you come at the water and you come at the next screen and this bull thing comes running in. It's stuff okay. like it's so got it's, it's a black blob with white teeth and it chases after you. Do you know what? Oh, I knew there was a feminine, a feminine, a feminine, a vera farminga. There's a familiarity with the character design. That's what it is. Yeah. I know, eh? But um, ah, you know, it's it's uh, plus um, having sorry, Richie, no, having, having the guy in the creature suit actually physically being there adds more to the kids' performances because well, they were... Are they, like, genuinely scared? They, they were scared, saying they were, like, like it was scary because when they're doing a take, you're, like, running away from it on the scooter and stuff like that and it's really there, they're kind of like, oh, because he's... He is basically in the suit, even they've got the glowy like mouth and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like it is basically that thing there mm -hmm. next to you chasing you. So they were. They it tell gets more some great stories about like uh, how the guy. Oh, I wish I could remember his name. How the guy in the suit, like when they were getting ready to do a take, they, they, they were, they were, he was freaking them out by being like, you know, it's like. I'm gonna fuck it. Well, you maybe didn't say that. He's like, <laughs> gonna fucking knife you. I'm gonna give like, you fucking nightmares. He keeps saying, like, he kept, I think he kept saying stuff like, you my bitch, yeah, I'm, you my bitch, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tear you apart, I'm gonna kill <laughs> you. I'm gonna, and they'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> one of the wee um, problems with Mayhem, the two wee boys, oh, like, uh, there's, there's one on the, on the behind the scenes documentary. And it's like, they're talking to the guy. He's like, they're at a snack van or something. And he's like, oh, you're the guy in the suit, eh? And he's like, aye. And they're like, oh, that's really scary, man. <laughs> then he just gets down on his hands and knees and like chases them. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, fuck. How amazing would that be as a wee guy, eh? Like, no. getting that opportunity to be in a film and then have somebody fucking terrify you that's, that's a proper it, monster. That's it.
it's so accomplished. It's so mm. it's for you can tell. Like I think the thing with Joe Cornish, especially being pals with Edgar Wright, I I know he was hanging about on all Edgar Wright's sets because he plays a zombie in um, Shaun of the Dead. Um, but I know he's been falling about and just sort of taking mental notes. And but I I, I, I think he like he wanted to be a director. I think his whole life. I think apparently I love the stories as well, like um, of being in school, and he made short films in school, and apparently made. I'd love to see it, but he made a one-hour kind of horror film All right. with Adam Buxton and Louis Theroux. Oh, oh my no. God. <laughs> <laughs> what was Louis Theroux just going, oh God. Another the, the common theme about the three films is that, that we're looking at is they're all under ninety minutes. Aye, uh, Monster Squad's like seventy nine. Aye, it's, it's not. Tiny. It's punchy and like oh, I think shit, that's an important thing as well for kids films. Mm. Like mm. an attack the blocks, like is attack the block like eight? It's like eight minutes. It's, uh, it's, it's under an hour and a half. Oh, the sweet the sweet spot. For me, that's a that's a film that you can watch on a school night. Uh, I totally agree. <laughs> that is, I. That's no, that's that for me is like uh, every now and then I'll uh, like I'll come home I'll have a full night. It'll be like I could probably do three films tonight, <laughs> but they have to be sweet spot. Aye, aye, that's like, that's the thing. It's like I've got to compact it. I need I need eight to just shy of eight to minutes. Yep. Long, nah, yeah, but exactly. that's why you could watch. Bora, Bruno, and, <laughs> and the Dictator, because they're all like 77 minutes each or something. Um, <laughs> one last thing I wanted to mention as well was like uh, another attention to detail I love was the block itself. They let the block to be like a almost like it was a big spaceship. Right. The okay. block is meant to be the Nostromo. Oh. 
Oh, fuck me, aye. Because like, they put those giant lights on the top that mm-hmm. shine down, and obviously you've got that amazing shot as well where you look up no. and they're crawling up the side aye. of it. Oh, it's, very, it's very Nakatomi Plaza as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of... And some of the, like, some of the shots... Like, see the use... The thing I... One of the things I fucking love is the, the use of the automatic lighting and the... Aye, he's walking through. They use that aye. a lot, like, and it's... Uh, like, uh, I think sometimes it's like... Maybe it's just for dramatic purposes, but then it might just be motion sensors too. It's like maybe it's just like because I know it's believable. It's, it's that, that thing. It's that. like it's a really nice way of bringing in something realist, something that happens, and making it a dramatic. Aye. And the way when they fill the fucking the the, the room the the halls with the smoke and Aye. stuff. And, uh-huh. Oh man, it's beautiful. Yep, that's got. I really yeah, I'm a big fan of the film. But so but 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 okay, is it better than Shaun of the Dead? <sighs> Oh God! <laughs> like Shaun of the Dead is one of my favourites. Oh, mamma mia! <laughs> you know what? No, I think I think Attack the Walks better because it appeals more in my tastes. I Although like I, I like Shaun as much. I fucking love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. I love I like Shaun of the Dead. Thing, but it like, rinsed it out for me. I've like over the years and over the powerless Forbidden Planet fucking t-shirt box um, shite. <laughs> I would rather watch Attack the Block. Uh, Shaun of the Dead's been fucking ruined. For uh, me. It's yeah, been like, by geeks. <laughs> Geek culture. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like fucking um, Big Lebowski and uh, Big Fear Lebowski and Loden. Like, like brilliant films, but I can't, like I had to I had to take like a good eight, ten year gap. Uh, it's been hijacked. But no, but geeks just be roasters like just, I mean, soap bar idiots. <laughs> like like, I t- like Big Lebowski was my favourite for years and years and years. And then I, I saw like Lebowski Fest or Lebowski Con or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like. Oh, that's cool. Then you start seeing it mayor and mayor, and you hear folk talk about it, and you're like, "Fuck, you have just fucking ruined that for me." Aye, aye, but like for that reason, I definitely go with Attack the Block mayor because like, it's like, it's, it's kind of like I think a few years ago, if they both came out at the same time, I would have said Shaun of the Dead because see, at that point, like I was uh, like zombie films and that were kind of not as we weren't as saturated with them and stuff. Yeah, you know, um, but, Shaun of the Dead is I think is a technique. Well. Is it a technically more accomplished film? I just think the way that Shaun of the Dead is structured and the way that's written and it's just like the, it's, it's so fast. The edit of Shaun of the Dead all benefits really... the story though because like, it's a bit funnier like you get away with all the quicker cuts which could yeah. make it look a bit more accomplished. If Attack the ah, Block yeah. has got... Well, they talk about Shaun of the Dead a little in Attack the Block and they talk about how they establish locations. <laughs> this was something that blew away as well. It's not, so, well, no, no, it was more that, that, that like the, the idea of and uh, the first act of a film showing the look like having oh, the kids walking about uh, all the locations that you're going to see later yeah. um, as a as an action set piece but it gives you the it helps you create a map in your head mm-hmm. of how of the, the landscape uh, on where the kids are going and where, where it's all taking place so uh, that when it starts moving quickly you don't you're not like where are we now uh, and they that do that like, really well in Shaun of the Dead as well like the trip to the shop and how they make a bit of a joke of it but like and then they repeat it and Aye, aye. Um, but I don't want to compare them because they're I too. I they're actually. Like, I mean, given that they're given that the, we're talking about the problem of them being compared, like um, they are quite different films. Like, oh, aye, Shaun of the Dead has got that whole spaced Edgar Wright edge to aye. it as well. That, that it's just a shame he's never made anything good since. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> nah, but I don't it's know. That, I don't know the, no, oh, yeah. it's funny. Apparently, the editor for Scott Pilgrim edited. Well, there was, uh, Scott Pilgrim was two editors, but the editor for Attack the Block was also working on Scott Pilgrim. But apparently, mm. the two films were edited next door to each other. So when Attack oh, the Block was being edited, 
you could you could hear Scott Pilgrim being edited and vice ah, versa. Nice. Nice. But like they obviously the editor got to a certain point with Scott Pilgrim and then jumped next door to uh-huh. Attack the Block. I love fucking love stories like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um so anyway, uh so yes, you can tell we're all pretty big on Attack the Block. And um I'd like to think that you've watched it by now. <laughs> Uh, and if you haven't, and I know we've kind of spoiled it for you, but really it's a lot better than just us babbling on about it. Even if you haven't watched it and you think you've got everything from that film for this conversation, you've known. No. Like, yeah. We're just kind of talking about the things that, 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 that are good and scratching and the surface. it's the beginning of like John Boyega's career and he's... He's ah, fucking he's, amazing at it. Uh, yep. He's, he's cool as fuck. And the it. whole and he's, time he's like, he's like, it came out around a bit of time where there, there wasn't really any like new heroes in the film either. It was all just like re- like uh, remakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like we didn't really have um, like another uh, John McLean or like you know we had folk like uh, what's fucking cunt pirate called like <laughs> Jack Sparrow. <laughs> like that's your hero. That's what you've got <laughs> now. There's a great bit, actually, there's a great bit in the... It's not John Boyega, but two of the cast members are having a pretend lightsaber fight. Oh, in the, shit! In the behind-the-scenes documentary, and I'm like, if only he you knew. knew. <laughs> he's, he's great, and it's like, it's, it's a good it's a good film, just, like, if you're interested in John Boyega for Star Wars, go back to it, because you'll be surprised if you've never heard of it. It's... it's Great. Uh, and he, and he, has a, he's a, he plays it brilliantly as well. He's the anchor he's, of the film. He's, he's uh, great. And he's a hero got... you could totally get behind as well. Like, see, heroes in films to me are people that you want to be your captain. Like, you would fight for him, kind of uh, thing. You know, he needs to be like a good leader, and that's precisely what he is. The thing I love about John Boyega as well, like when you see him interviewed, he's just so excited to be there. Well, Have you uh, seen that red carpet interview with him in the Star Wars uh, one, where he's like, um, where someone's interviewing him, and he's like, oh, wait a minute, my pals are just off screen here mm. and he jumps over and then they all just start jumping up in the car <laughs> but like aye. he's the one aye, he's, 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 he's like he is so he's they, all, that's, they all start shouting brat they all go brat 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 <laughs> so he's like he's, he's the new ambassador <clears throat> for he's the, the new ambassador for the Star Wars films and he's like the perfect one because he's every Star Wars fan wrapped in one he's just like a big fucking excited mess to be a part of it and he uh, loves it you know and yeah, he's yeah. there and everything he's enthusiastic as fuck man kind of geek ah, he's like he's like just driving the the film sort of like feeling and enthusiasm yeah. by being everywhere and just being excited as fuck it's yeah, great totally. he's great so so it came to that time time for some feedback no no time for keyword okay. <laughs> This is my favourite. <laughs> keyword roundup. <laughs> keyword roundup, if you didn't see it in real one, keyword roundup is where I've went to IMDB, looked at all the keywords related to the film and picked out the 10 best keywords related to this film. Social decay. Pheromones. Hiding in a dumpster. London, England. Entomologist. <laughs> Die Hard Scenario <laughs> Friendship <laughs> Guy Fox Night Marijuana Joint And <laughs> The final one Reference to Simon Kibble <laughs> like, I know why these are here right Because you're like I need to What was that film Where there was a reference to Simon Kibble <laughs> So you type in references Oh fucking attack the block Of course But also like the idea that people are like You know what I want tonight I want a film that references Simon Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dracula driving a car. 
I'm going to look up many of them. I want, I want a film about an entomologist. <laughs> and a marijuana joint. <laughs> well, I've got the film for you. <laughs> so that's Keyboard Roundup for Attack and Block. Um, so onwards to feedback. Video Namaste feedback. From physical Twitter, aka The Parchment. This is from at Jeannie Williams. What did you think of Super 8? Did it capture the spirit of those 80s films well or too much? Uh, homage. Too much homage. Homage. I think too homage much homage for me is when it just tries to replicate. Like, that's homage. the point where you're just like, this <laughs> is just... Homage. <laughs> where, it's, where it's just doing the same thing. But I, kind of, uh, I like Super 8. I, I, I fucking love Super 8. Yeah, I really like... Really... I, I, it really got me. I think set. I think setting it maybe as a period piece because it is a period piece. Isn't yeah, it? it's like it's like is it the early eighties? Early eighties. I think. I think that was. Or maybe m- late seventies. Because like don't bring me downs in it. Aye, because there's and there's a lot of like high waisted jeans as well. Mm. You know, but I think um, <laughs> long arse. <laughs> after I arse that goes to the moon. <laughs> so I think like I, th- I think setting it in the period really helped it. But I would like to have seen it. In modern times, because it felt mm-hmm. too like it was trying too hard to be ET, but at the like same it's, time, it's appealing to folk in their late twenties, early thirties, mm-hmm. rather than other like it's, now kids. It's very, it's, it's a really ambling film, and it's it's got the ambling logo at the start of it. Yeah, right. so you're like thumbs up all around anyway. But I really enjoyed it, and it does become its own thing at the end, especially when you go into the the creatures like burrow nice. and stuff like yeah. that that's that's really cool and like the, the big magnet stuff at the end that's really cool and it becomes its own sort of thing but it pays homage in the right way which is not to rip things off like the E.T. bike flying scene uh, yeah. I mean it's not, it's not stuff like that it does its own thing their, their version of the bike flying scene is them making their wee horror film and you get it at the start and of the film anyway with the Amblin logo it's like yep. you can't do that again I've heard your film I've seen it I've seen uh, it so I, I love separate I did, I did too, but like, the only thing I think it kind of missed the bus way was uh, the sentimentality at the end. Mm. I thought they oversold it. And I think it was like, it's it's kind of like, you know when, and this is quite said dead wanky, but fuck it, I'm a wanker. When people try to write Tarantino, like Tarantino, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like that, and you can't get it's it like, right. You've not got the brain for it. No, it's true, you've not got the brain for it. So that's something that he can only do exclusively. Or like when people try and shoot a film to look like Heat or any other Michael Mann oh. film, it's like, I know what you're doing, mate, and it's not that oh. good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so like, I think for that reason, I kind of. It doesn't nail Spielberg's sentimentality, and that's mm-hmm. precisely what it's trying to replicate. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a match at that point. I think it's just like, no, this is the only moment, this is the most important moment of the film, and they, they kind of fucked it because it was just a bit, it was saccharine. Too schmaltzy. Okay. But I, I think in all other aspects, I like that it was a period piece because it's mm-hmm. kind of like it, it really is like pushing for the homage. And uh, it's small town USA as well, exactly, and you get yeah. to know that town. And there was something dead comforting about that too. Mm-hmm. Like it, it looked gorgeous, and it was Aye. interesting it's... seeing all that shot like through modern technology and mm-hmm. stuff like that too. So it was cool. fucking it was like lens a... flare though. I wasn't. I wish I'd get it to. Fuck it, there's there. no, I hate it. It's not. There's not a huge amount of it, is there? There's a fair whack. I remember there's one scene. Especially with a the shot, train. I was okay. gonna say there's a shot of a shed and there's like a big lens flare above it and there doesn't seem to be. That's the worst thing about JJ Abrams' lens flares. Sometimes there's no light. Source. It's like when you first. It's, it's just when you first get into in Photoshop. You're like, I know what will help. You. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, thumbs up for. 
Cool. Um, big, at Big Don John. Daniel, as you know, I've got a throbber for Trent Reznor soundtracks. Who else do you who else do you guys think nails a score? No pun intended with nails it. Eh? Wow! <laughs> Get the heck out of here. <laughs> Richie, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't know, right, okay, so I Alan think what he's getting at is like not going Aye. to eight. Eh? I love Alan Silvestri. Oh, right. is that, that's Predator, isn't it? Is that the boy done Well, he, does, he also did Back to the Future. Aye. I think Aye. Back, like, Back to the Future, for me, I, it's, I, I feel, sometimes I feel a bit stupid just saying like a film like that, but it was like, fucking hell, the score to Back to the Future is the most rousing Aye. score. Aye. Aye. I'm Jurassic Park. I'm talking about rousing. Ah, so yeah, obviously, no, I think yeah. I think that. But like, I, I think Back to the Future the, does get the you the tension and everything. It's like the, the funny thing about Back to the Future is like you, the scene where you know where he's trying to, where the car's stalling and he needs to time the lightning strike and everything. That's still I'm still like on the edge of my seat. Aye. It's like it doesn't matter how many times <laughs> I've seen it, and it's the music and it's just like and when it gets gets going, it's a proper like yeah. <laughs> it's, Aye, it's great. Uh, and then it's the payoff. Aye. I'm going to have to be boring and say John Williams. Oh, really? Aye. See, I, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, oh, I was like, I could say like Fabio Fritzi. Like, Aye, I was thinking like, I was like Fabio Fritzi or John Gordon. Carpenter or, but like Van Gaelis and all that. But I was thinking like, I really love Stuart Copeland scores. Oh, aye. The Boy for the Police, the drama for the Police. Oh, yeah. Yeah, His Rumblefish score is like my number one, maybe, favourite score of all time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, great. It's, it's quite percussion based, a wee bit jazzy, a wee bit reggae, but no naff fucking police white man reggae. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's like a, there's a pace and a, a constant rush to it, like how Rumblefish feels. And um, he done one for a film about a rollerblader called Airborne as well. And it like elevate Airborne would have been a shitty directed video fucking like folly, but Stuart Copeland's um like soundtrack elevates it to something. Uh, sometimes the soundtrack be, like, yeah, it's brilliant. It's man. Like if you d- remember like remember when they tried they tried to change. I know it's not the score, but when they tried to change the soundtrack to Drive, <laughs> and it was fucking it was same old stuff. It was fucking. <laughs> Aye, and like it did, it changed the film entirely. Aye. But you can do that with, with scores as well. It's Wait, like, what's what? What's the BBC like, done this? Uh, the was, BBC done this. Radio thing. Radio One, Zen Lowe's Radio One show says, "Let's get all these artists on board and we'll rescore Drive because everybody loves Drive." This was like two years or three years after Drive came out, mm. and it's like Bastille, Churches, this hundreds are born cunts just. <laughs> Playing shitty censor. It's chronic. It's it was oh, it was abysmal. Radio One rescores. Drive, October thirtieth, ten p.m. BBC Three. Starring Brian Gosling. Directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Soundtrack curated by me, Zane Lowe. October thirtieth. 10 p.m. BBC Three. I guess you can tell how good a sound or how successful a soundtrack is by how many people try to copy it afterwards. And the Drive soundtrack is that's great. It's one of the, like we're all having trouble here because we're trying not to say the most obvious things. But fuck me, the Drive soundtrack it's, is it's great. It's it, perfect to that song. Sometimes things are popular for a reason. Like and and right? I, like something that I really love is a good synth. 
Mm. So like, that's what I was saying. Like, with John Carpenter, it's like most of the stuff that he's done and the stuff that he gets any credit, like he doesn't get enough credit for, like Escape from New York, like uh, Assault and Precinct 13, The Fog, mm. the, the fucking Fog, fog like yeah. all of that, like uh, Big Trouble in Little China, amazing. Mm-hmm. But see, honestly, fucking God, I'm no kidding. See, score for vampires. Listen, oh, to yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it is. I mean, there's a lot of like quite cheesy. Like that's when. Carpenter came into his lap steel phase mm. but see the piano tracks on that right hold I don't shit. I don't really remember the no, soundtrack but I'll go they back are to it beautiful aye. aye like big time beautiful but, but aye. I'm with John aye. though like Reznor uh, is mm-hmm. yep oh, aye. Christ, he's always his music's always been a bit cinematic though in the sense that it's like he obviously does concept albums and things mm. like that so like you know there's kind of like a running narrative and the music complements well, when, when, when uh, Fincher was cutting Zodiac he was listening to Ghosts Aye, and like when he was, so. and here's the funny thing, we, uh, like just another link, um, maybe maybe a deliberate link to Resna <laughs> when um, Chuck Palahniuk was writing, is that how you pronounce his name? Palahniuk? I've no I, idea. I, 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 I can't <laughs> mind, because I've heard that, I heard folks saying it no longer when it was like, f- fucking, Palahniuk. Aye, it's something like that, it's like, holy shit, just, I just said Palahniuk. Well, he was, he was listening to the Downer Spiral on a loop when he was writing Fight Club and like, you know, and yeah. pretty much every Fincher film and there's a connection to Reznor somehow, you know, it's like, and that's oh, that, that Dust Brothers, <laughs> Dust Brothers that do Fight Club. Aye, yeah, that's aye, a, that's that's a, a, that's 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 a, his, his soundtracks are always great. I think he'd done this. Did they do the soundtrack for Highlander 2 as well? I don't or was know. That, I, I'm, the, I'm, um, there, I'm sure there's a possibility. The, who was it that uh, scored. Um, what's his name? I'm trying to remember his fucking name. Starry Eyes. Um, uh, Jonathan Snipes. Is that right? Is that Jonathan, right? Jonathan Snipes or Jonathan Sipes, the boy who done Starry Eyes and Room 237 and Aye. The Nightmare and stuff. Aye. I was going to say, like, like he's Aye. one of the new composers that's really Aye. interesting. He, like, really, he's, and, and he seems to be kind of like the Clint Mansell kind of propulsion. Like, he's, he's starting with synth and then there's a bit well, more score coming on. Steve Moore as well, the boy that's done Aye. The Guest mm-hmm. and. Um, he done the guest and he done Mind's Eye as well. Aye, um, Mind's Eye as well. I'd like to see. There's uh, more, but aye, mm, totally. He's like, also you're next. Aye, aye, and like the thing, the, again, the thing about like it's this fucking resurgence of synthwave coming back, and I, I love it, fucking mm. bitch. But you know the music's actually good too. It's not just something aye, trying to aye. replicate an era or like you know it's actually say, good music. Like, aye, because there's a lot of. What I was going to say earlier, but you kind of beat me to it, but it was like... In, well, sorry, in de- no, 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 it's <laughs> fine. I was going to say, like, there's a lot of interesting... As always, there's a lot of interesting stuff soundtrack-wise going in, on in indie filmmaking. Yeah. And the thing about using, doing synthwave stuff is, like, you don't need a big orchestra to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, then you get stuff like, see the the, um, the Disaster Piece score for... Oh, it follows. Oh, Unbelievable! It's like I mean, clearly the guy who directed it's, it follows played Fez and went upright. Oh, I want that, yeah. but um, it's claustrophobic. It's so, it's so and it's really intense too. I, 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 I don't shower to that music. I had a shower <laughs> with that one. It was fucking. <laughs> I'm I came out and I still had soapy buzz. Fuck <laughs> 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 man. At minute five oh seven two asks the best film dad. Oh, oh. one time with us. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Does Roy Neary count if you close encounters? Because he's technically established as a da. But is, is, it would have to, surely have to be a the dad character? of the, the, main, of the main character. Surely. No, my, my one was the ultimate film da, which is... Quite accident. The Terminator and Terminator 2. Oh, I, oh you 
son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. That's a good answer. That's, that's who my ultimate dad would be. Like, you hunty. <laughs> <laughs> There's no fucking point. He's the best. Or Michael Bain for the Aliens Day. He's, he's like... Oh, that's good. Him and... <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You know him and... That's, they're, 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 a, they're a nuclear family. I am. Him, Newton, uh, Ripley. Uh, well, I was saying earlier, like we watched a film called Suburban Gothic uh, a couple of weeks ago, oh. and they Ray Wise is the is the Dan, and he's one of the funniest characters I've seen in a film. Like, he's not a Dan, you are. Exactly. So go on for like Bob, mm. like to this, it's fucking great, and he's hilarious, and he's got some incredible one-liners. But uh, in terms of like always. Like wishing that I wish he was my dad. <laughs> he was um, probably well, a hot accident in Gremlins, like because he invents stuff and he looks like he's a brilliant cuddle. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, because this is how are we figuring this out? How good a cuddle he gets? <laughs> if you don't want to get a row off him, <laughs> imagine how he acting getting you a row. You'd be like, oh. He doesn't realise he's left you in the house till he's on a plane. <laughs> uh, I like. I was thinking about like actual dads in the film and I really like Daniel Stern and Whippet as aye. a dad because he's, he's the man of the house obviously the mum runs the house but he's like also got to be there to back up the mum but he wants Ellen Page's character to do what she wants as well and he has a lot of conflicts but by the end he's completely proud of his daughter because mm-hmm. his next door neighbour comes him with his son who's been playing American football and Daniel Stern's nailing the post into the grass that says Ellen Page's uh, yeah. number and he's like a proud dad and he's he's had his own wee uh, he's had his own wee lesson to learn just shows you dad's done in love with him <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, was John Goodman I see can I just say Roseanne <laughs> Roseanne sure did we do on screen or film dad film dad alright I'm white accident then alright <laughs> I'll settle for white sure. how about you um, for some reason I was like Jonathan Kent <laughs> James Jonathan Kent again. Superman's dad. Oh, aye, aye, aye. aye. Not Russell Crowe. <laughs> Not Kevin Costner. Maybe Kevin Costner, I don't know. <laughs> Kevin Costner, a fortune. <laughs> You're uh, going to... Oh, indeed. <laughs> You're in Portland. He says as he runs fast as fucking flies towards him. <laughs> You're in Portland. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Or Stanley Tucci in Easy A. He's brilliant. Oh, aye. Mm. Oh, He's I'd really love, good in that. He's I would, funny as fuck. I man. would love to just... That's a man I'd like to cuddle. I'd like to cuddle Stanley Tucci and maybe kiss his heat. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Monster Squad, like the, uh, the, the, the moment you're talking about like where, the, um, where they're watching the, the, the driving film on the roof, aye. and he comes up and, he, and he's like... He, you know, he sits down with him and he pulls a hamburger out of the bag... Mm. And you know they sit and watch the film. Yeah, it's just, it's just a lovely. And he's also uh, like a real person. He's angry as fuck with his wife for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> as well. It's like, oh, what's what's that? What's going on there? It's but just like it's just, like I just a wee minute bonding session, and it just, it just exactly. It, it doesn't go like, overboard either. It reminds me of like you know being a kid, and my, my stepdad used to drag me out of bed in the middle of the night to watch if there was a good film on the telly. Like he did. That's how you first watched the thing, eh? No. And mm-hmm. the Blues Brothers and all that sort of stuff before he became jaded and only watched crime drama. Um, <laughs> I hope he's watching. <laughs> <laughs> he won't be. <laughs> um, 
Ah, it's you know, it's, it's moments like that. I guess it's it's always it's always nice. You're like, mm. That's why it's like when when parents die in films. That's the worst for me. <laughs> when parents die, but that's the shit that gets me. Like like, mm-hmm. see when Uncle Ben dies in Spider Man. <laughs> oh, that's that is a hard one because he's a lovely old man. Uh, aye. Aye. So we happy with the questions they get us? Aye, aye, aye. thanks. Thanks. These are getting better. <laughs> <laughs> you just marking down text. Better. <laughs> that one was an A plus. <laughs> uh, cheers for the feedback. Thank you, guys. We appreciate everything and any enthusiasm. It's it's really encouraging. Thanks. Um, it just leaves to say goodbye and join us next time for uh, the third instalment in Skintney Films, and we're going to look at Joe Dante's. That's it's important to remember this, but we're looking at Joe Dante's hole. The hole. <laughs> we're looking at Joe Dante's. <laughs> Is yeah, cold. sure, I'll come in. You can look at my whole fucking. We'll glue the penny to the gun and he can't pick it up. <laughs> so we're getting a right good stare. <laughs> and the trousers and his arse ripped as well. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.